On today's show, we're going to look at Evan Mobley, what he's up to on offense, where he is at in his offense development, and get you ready for Cavs-Knicks on Tuesday night in the Beck Apple. That's all coming up today on Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com backslash Lockdown today to get started. I'm Chris Manning, covering the Cavs and NBA for places like Diamond Up Rocks and SB Nation's Fear the Store. That man over there is Evan Damerel. He's the proprietor of Right Down Euclid. Today's show again, Evan Mobley in segment one. Segment two, we're going to update some stuff from practice. Segment three, talk about Cavs, Knicks, and then talk about the week to come because it is a kind of a jam-packed Cavs week ahead of us here. But Evan, I, I want to go back to Evan Mobley and his, his 38 performance on Saturday night because that performance got me really thinking about what he could be on the offensive end and thinking about how getting him into the pocket more would be good for him. I do not think it is as simple as getting him involved early and kind of doing the token post-ups or token feeds for the big early in the game. I don't think that's it. What I think is that where he's at offensively means that you need to get him in the role. You need to get him hitting little pull-ups. You need to get him getting looks in the rim in the, in the rim in the lane. And what, and I know you have Jared Allen. I know Jared Allen is an elite finisher an elite lob threat, but I think you need for Moby's own benefit I think that is the kind of thing you should be emphasizing if you're Cleveland moving forward with him. I don't know where that goes exactly, but I I think you got to try to do more of it based on what we've seen him do this year and what we saw him do on Saturday. For those who are watching, by the way, on the video form of the podcast, I was winding back the clock since we're going back to Evan Mobley uh, being explosive against the Milwaukee Bucks on Saturday night. But I agree to an extent. I think the Cavs do need to make more of a, I wouldn't say concerted effort, but make sure Mobley is a little bit more involved in the offense because yeah, he has the ability to sometimes create his own shot in fast break scenarios or create for others in fast break, but the ball handling and the uh, just playmaking just aspect of him kind of playing point center point forward really isn't there yet. And that's, that's totally fine. Um, Evan Mobley's growth and development is a very interesting thing. And I actually asked JB Bickerstaff about this. We'll talk about it in the practice update, but either way, um, I think the Cavs just need to find a way to work him more into the offensive flow a little bit. It's tricky because Donovan Mitchell is likely going to play against New York on Tuesday. And you would assume just he's on either on a game by game basis with that groin injury or he's fully back and he's going to be the number one or number two option with Darius Garland being the the opposite of whatever Mitchell isn't. So that that means you kind of are waiting for that third option to emerge for Cleveland and it could be Evan Mobley, but. It also depends on how defenses play him that night, too. I think he is a very cerebral player and he's very cognizant of the fact of how defenses play him some evenings like. This game against Milwaukee when he scored 38 points was more or less Milwaukee playing a lot of drop coverage, uh, Mobley just taking chance or taking advantage at least of second chance opportunities and things like that. And he was just consistently enforcing his will um, 
against the Bucks. And Bickerstaff did note that uh, this is this is a completely different practice note, but he was kind of challenged a little bit after having such a bad game. I mean, the Cavs across the board had a bad game against the Golden State Warriors the night before, but Mobley in particular was challenged by Bickerstaff and the coaching staff in that regard, and he he responded to it. I think. In that moment, the Cavs coaching staff was able to press the right buttons on Mobley, but at the end of the day, he's never going to be that 38-point scorer. I don't think he's going to get 27 shot opportunities and make 19 of them. Like He's going to get quite less of the host when Donovan Mitchell is back out there, and that's not a bad thing for the Cavs. I think they found something that works within this offensive flow for him but and them in general, but... I do think just like games like this, or you look at how he kind of flirted with the triple double with points, rebounds, and assists, and then he had another one where he flirted with it with points, rebounds, blocks, and assists. So it was almost a quad dub for Evan Mobley. Like there are ways that he can impact the offense in more than just scoring. But I think with just how much stronger he's getting and how he's kind of just getting comfortable with the physicality in year two of his career, like you want to kind of encourage it at least, like to keep feeding him at times, especially when he's making such insanely important plays on the defensive side of the ball. Well, that that's that's my whole point. Like the point is like you get Evan Mobley, I think some such as you have to get him some development. He is so important to what this franchise can be as far as its ceiling goes that you have to I think to get him some development on offense. And look, it, I think in the long term if you sacrifice some short-term stuff with Mitchell or Garland or Jared Allen, like that that's worth it to me. I think that is worth it. And I think it comes in the context, Evan, of this season where like, I feel like Mobley has improved an offense, but it isn't this big jump. It is not this seismic jump. And that has left some people maybe feeling cold at him, which I think is, I personally think is very stupid. He's a little bit better at the rim. Mm-hmm. His, his usage ratio is a little bit better, but it doesn't always feel like that, right? Because maybe that's because he hasn't become a shooter. It doesn't feel like that leap has happened because he hasn't made a three now in like over a month. Maybe because it's because of the Mitchell thing where like, the Cavs have the Cavs had get Mitchell and that changes things. If the Cavs, I was thinking about this after Saturday. If the Cavs had just run it back, if Larry Markin is on this team, if Colin Sexton is on this team, if Ochai Abaji is brought into this team, and like it's just like, hey, we had success last year. Let's run it back with Evan Mobley and, and give. And we need to evolve the offense. How do we do that? Well, maybe he takes on a bigger role then. Maybe yeah. that is what pushes the usage rate for like 19 to 23 or 24 or 25 instead of it going down to like 18.1 or whatever it's at right now. That is like the kind of way where I wonder if like that is how it kind of more would have evolved. That this was a different situation. Um, it's also I think it's worth noting that like the offense without Allen on the floor this year, a.k.a. with Mobley as as with him on the floor, Allen off hasn't been good. It's uh, according to the clean of the glass, like 112.9 per hundred possessions. That's equivalent to like the 21st ranked offense on the year. That's not good. And I don't know if that's that's not really to me an indicator of Mobley, but he's not like an offensive floor raiser yet. I think mm-hmm. he could get there, but I think you have to give him development reps. And like whether that's just some of the stuff we saw Saturday, whether that's more creation opportunities, whatever it is, I think there's more they could do than just give him the post ups, give him like these the switch the hunting switches on post ups. I think they could be more dynamic in the kind of stuff they could empower Mobley to do as he tries to grow. I think it's going to have to come about organically, obviously. Like, you're not going to be able to... You can't force this just because, one, Mobley isn't wired that way as a player. Like, he's kind of unselfish to a fault at times with how the Cavs flow offensively. Like, 100 times out of 100, as Bickerstaff and many others have noted, like, he's going to look to make the extra pass of the right play to get somebody else involved if he thinks it's a better look 
at the rim. And sometimes you want that, but also there are times like selfishly as just someone who watches this team on a night to night basis where you're like, man, I wish Evan Mobley would just kind of be selfish there. And I think it that goes hand in hand with the fact that his draft situation was fairly unique at the end of the day too, where Cleveland wasn't a good team. That's why they got the third overall pick, but it's not like Detroit with Cade or it's not Houston with Jalen Green, where there is just an overabundance of shot opportunities available for those top selected guys. Where Evan Mobley comes into a situation where at least last season, especially it's Darius Garland, Jared Allen, Colin Sexton for a time, Ricky Rubio for a bit, Larry Markinen, like Kevin Love. Like there's other people that need a little bit of the, a couple of bites off the plate too. So like Mobley doesn't get as many opportunities and it's not amplified, I want to say, but it certainly comes into more prominence with Dar- or Donovan Mitchell here rather. And then like those and Garland kind of soaking in most of the shot opportunities is kind of key here for Cleveland. So I don't think it's counter. Uh, what I'm getting at is they have to find organically ways to maybe find those reps for him other than just in post-ups. And maybe it's he needs to start setting harder screens. Like I noticed against the Bucs, like he was setting some really hard screens, which is something Evan Mobley really doesn't do. He likes just to slip as soon as he does it. And he's a little bit contact adverse in that regard. But it's just maybe kind of getting repetition and things like that. And I'm I'm curious, like, what do him and Luke Walton work on together? Because Luke Walton is kind of the coach that is attached to Evan Mobley's hip during this, like, practices and during, like, game shoot around and stuff. Like, I wonder what they're working on specifically. And like you said, the three-point shot isn't necessarily there yet. I think taking it during games is definitely still encouraging, even though it's clearly not a part of his offensive repertoire quite yet. But those are opportunity development opportunities, too. And I think... It's just an interesting and very delicate balancing act the Cavs and their coaching staff are going through where, hey, we're one of the youngest teams in the league, but on paper and according to advanced metrics, like we have the potential to be a playoff threat and a legitimate contender, maybe not this year, but in the coming years. But they also have to balance the fact that they are a young team and they need to develop a lot of their players. So it's tricky because clearly like you're not going to put Evan Mobley in a box and limit him offensively. Um, He's just too good to kind of let that happen. But it is just interesting to watch this unfold, and I would strongly encourage Cleveland to organically find ways just to get Evan Mobley more involved in the flow of the offense. So it's not just watching him kind of just light like a mat, like just be like a match to a fuse in the fourth quarter, and he just kind of explodes on both ends of the floor and just becomes flat out dominant. Where you could kind of just have that throughout the game, so you're not kind of having to deal with these comeback scenarios especially on the road like that that would be helpful in my eyes i don't know i'm just a i'm just a podcaster but at least in my opinion they'd be helpful a little bit the other thing i would i would just say as we wrap this up is that i think there is a world where evan mobley like doesn't become the three-point shooter everyone dreams him to be and that's okay and he can be a very very impactful offensive player without doing that it is possible it is it is i think a realistic outcome that he doesn't become this like uber good three-point shooter you have to get him reps to, to get there, though, to help him grow. All right, we're going to go into break. We're going to come back. We're going to look ahead to practice and specifically talk on Donovan Mitchell, who we think is likely uh, to be back come when, uh, Tuesday night in New York, where you know he played before in, that, in his first game there as a Cavalier, and it didn't go great. But first, got to tell you about our friends at FanDuel. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. Here at Lockdown, we're really excited about our new sports betting partner because they are the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed 
when you place your first $5 bet. That's it. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads and player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. If you're looking ahead to next weekend, you have the AFC and NFL title games. You've got the Chiefs right now are favored over the Bengals by one and a half points in a rematch of last year's game. That should be a ton of fun. On the other side, you've got Philly and the 49ers. It feels like right now all of these teams are all kind of competing with each other and have like a realistic chance. The Eagles are two and a half point favorites, by the way, in that game, if, if that's something you're interested in. All of this is on an app, by the way, that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash lockdown. They have a ton of NBA stuff, too, if that's what you're interested in. And, of course, we are here at Lockdown Cast. Make every moment more with FanDuel, and they are, by the way, the official sports book partner of the NFL. All right, back here, Lockdown Cavs, Chris Manning and Evan Damerill. Evan, what did J.B. Bickerstaff have to say about Donovan Mitchell on, on Monday? Not a lot. Uh, he, Mitchell was spotted uh, when the practice floor was up and up to the media, getting some work in with Mamadi Diakite and Lamar Stevens and talking a lot of trash to one of those two, telling them that they aren't that great defensively just because Mitchell was kind of cooking them in isolation. But other than that, when Bickerstaff was asked, like, hey, did Donovan participate today? He's just like, yeah, he was a full participant in everything we did today. And, I mean, he had a practice jersey on. I think that's pretty encouraging just at the end of the day. And then you look at the 530 injury report for the Cavs. It says that Donovan Mitchell is probable for the game against New York tomorrow. And for me, and we're going to kind of divert a little bit here, it's crazy to think because the only other player that's out then would be Dylan Winder, who... Baker staff shared with me is progressing still, and he expects Windler to play at some point this season. He was a little taken aback by that question, but then also like Isaiah Mobley and Mamadi Diakita are on G League assignments. So in theory, this is the first time the Cavs have been truly healthy since the season started at Donovan Mitchell plays tomorrow. And like, that's, that's kind of crazy to think about that. We're 50 plus games into the season and the Cavs are kind of finally hitting that point, but they're still kind of nursing injuries and bringing guys back to the court. Bless you for asking about Dylan Windler, who like doesn't have a well, functioning body. He was getting up shots like extensively with a coach across the court, like like was doing cuts and running back along the baseline and stuff. And I'm like, JV, Dylan's putting up shots right now. Do you how's he progressing? And he's just like, he's progressing slowly. And I'm like, OK. And I'm like, do you expect him to play this season? And JV like looked at me. He's like, yeah, I expect him to play this season. So. Maybe not the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I don't. I do not think. I'm. I'm. I think we are. A, I. I. We've already been there. But I'm. I'm putting a pin in that Dylan Willard does not matter, and that sucks for him. But it sucks. So he matters I, as a person. It's just. Yeah, but okay. But like in the context the of the Cleveland Cavaliers, it yes. is. It is. Can I? Can I trade him and use him into salary, or is he going to like play with the Cleveland Charge after the trade deadline? That that's that is where I'm at. So, mm-hmm. the th- I think the health thing is interesting, just because. This will we are going to start getting indications of what Bickerstaff sort of like lineups are going to look like. And there are obviously caveats here. Like, I don't think Ricky Rubio is at his like full breadth of minutes yet. We're not there yet with Rubio. Kevin Love still has this thumb injury. Dean Wade is just coming back, had like 10 minutes of cardio uh, in, in his debut. Didn't get a shot up. You're, you have this week, you have a back to back later in the week. So you play Thursday and Friday in Houston and then Oklahoma City. 
like I don't Rubio's probably not going to play in one of those games and like that that's okay. Like you're still bringing him back off of off of the ACL. But like what, Tuesday is this chance to start seeing like okay, who are the two of the 9-10 guys he's going to play? What is the rotation? Mm-hmm. What do the rotations look like? This is his first like real kind of toolkit and what's available to him. And at the same time, it it's a it's a return to a, a place where the Cavs did not play well the last time we were there. They lost 91 to 82 in a pretty ugly game last time they were there. Mitchell did not play particularly well. Garland did not portray, play particularly well. This is a game I think you, considering how tight the East is, considering the Knicks, you know, aren't like they are not in that top five, but uh, they're like still annoying like, within striking distance. I'm pulling it up to, to tell you the exact numbers right now, and it's just being slow. But the Cavs are now six and a half games back of the, of the Boston Celtics at the top of the Eastern Conference. So the, the Celtics right now are like, pulling away a little bit from the rest of these. They're four and a half games up on the 76ers who are second. That's like very, very impressive. The Knicks are 10 and a half games back. So the Cavs are closer to the Knicks in seventh right now than they are to the Celtics in first. And I think opportunities to like get Mitchell back, hopefully get in some rhythm with some of your rotations and give yourself a little padding over six, seven, eight, nine in the East. Even if I don't really think those teams are going to ultimately push Cleveland for, for top five. I think that's just like a this is just like a game you'd really like to have. And if you can figure some stuff out along the way and get Mitchell back and kind of have a better performance than you did last time in New York, I think that that's all mm-hmm. kind of an added bonus. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's funny you mentioned that like when Donovan was asked uh, prior to, or after rather his uh, return to Salt Lake City, if he was nervous, he's like, no, man, I was more nervous to play in New York for the first yeah. time after the trade. So like, I, and you could clearly tell like something was off and like something was just like affecting him. And then it had a bit of a trickle down effect on the Cavs too. And just, I think New York definitely honed their defensive focus on the Darius Garland at that point. So I, I do think the Cavs kind of want to go into the garden and maybe that they, this won't be a distraction for them. I think Donovan Mitchell's probably going to come out if he does play with an edge to him to like show like, Hey, um, on to better things and I didn't need to join the Knicks, even though he expected to join them and also just everyone expected him to. But the, the health thing, I, I somewhat agree with just because Rubio is still going to be on a minutes restriction. I think Wade's going to have a bit of restriction for a bit, too. Just yeah, that, that's why I said that's action. why that's why I said caveats. OK, caveat for sure. But like you're probably going to see. I would assume that the same starting five we see when Mitchell's healthy, along with like Levert, Love, Rubio, and Wade to like round out your bench unit. But then you're going to see minutes to Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens once Rubio and Wade hit their minute cap tomorrow or Tuesday night against New York. Yeah, uh, worth noting, no line on that yet from our friends at FanDuel or any any parlays or anything of that nature. But uh, any lines for parlays, excuse me, but nothing there yet. Curious to see like I. I Road games are like obviously tricky. Home team gets a bump. Wonder if the Cavs are end up being like favorites anyway. But oh, this is this is this is takeaway. Speaking of road yeah, games, me. JB was asked by Daryl Reuter, um, why are the Cavs just like not so good on the road? Like what 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 is the explanation for? And JB's like, I just think it's because our shots don't fall and our confidence wanes versus at home. Our shots just kind of start going in naturally. Then we ride the momentum of the crowd a lot too. Like I think that is key to note. And back to your point about the road. No, I mean, that that's interesting. I think that's a good place to end this segment. Let's come back. We're going to look ahead to the full week, uh, starting with Cavs-Knicks, uh, just because it's an interesting week. Four games between now and Sunday. Knicks, mm-hmm. Rockets, Thunder, on a, and that's a back-to-back, and then home to the Clippers on Sunday. Kind of an interesting week as far as this goes. We'll be right back after this with more Lockdown. 
All right, last segment, Chris Manning, Evan Damrell. Thanks again, by the way, for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. If you're next listen, check out Lockdown Sports today. The biggest stories of the day puts instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. That's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Cavs next. I have a couple notes from the last time they played. 92-81 loss, as I said. First time Donovan Mitchell played in New York since everyone thought he was going to go there. Mitchell in that game, 23 points, 8 of 22 from the field, 2 of 11 from 3, 5 assists, 3 turnovers, 4 boards. Darius Garland also did not play great in that game. 17 points, 5 of 19 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. Evan, fun fact, Mamidi Diakite started Cavs-Knicks. What a time. What a time, weird one. Um, I, I think two things. I Let's see how Mitchell looks, assuming he plays, assuming the groin's good to go. I also mm-hmm. just kind of just expect Donovan Mitchell to like not play that way again in New York. I kind of I like whatever the over whatever the over under is on his points, I kinda like would be inclined to like lean the over and just expecting him to just kind of absolutely cook in this one. Yeah, you would expect so for him to do so as well, just because if you look back to October 30th when the first time the Cavs played the Knicks, so this was at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, mind you, Mitchell had 38 points, 12 assists, um, a steal and three rebounds and like was super efficient on 12 of 20 shooting. He was eight of 13 from the three point range. Like this was with no Darius Garland. Um, and he was starting with Slavert who went over from the floor and like kind of just had to put the team on his back because Jared Allen was not super effective in this game either. But like, I am interested to see how the cast kind of adjust. This is a definitely a hostile environment. I think this is going to be an anticipated game, no matter how you shake it. I think it's just going to be that way this season and maybe next few seasons, whenever Mitchell just goes back to New York and maybe when he's on the last year of his contract with the Cavs, if he hasn't re-upped with them at that point, I feel like there's going to be a lot of outside noise heading into New York at that point then too. But that's so far. That is just so far in the future that I, I, I can't, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I was talking to somebody today about the the window they have right now. So like it's been on the back of my mind today, but um, it'll be interesting to see just how the Cavs respond. And again, like for at least the better part of the first half, they'll look as a fully healthy quote unquote unit. Like does Dean Wade kind of get some more opportunities just instead of getting some free cardio as JB Bickerstaff kind of noted uh, the other night. And it's just, the groin injury thing is an interesting wrinkle in this too, just because groin injuries are super duper tricky. Um, like he could be feeling right physically right now, like in not hundred percent full contact practice and things like that. And like, yes, he's listed as probable, but groin injuries again, super tricky. Cause if he like plants the wrong way or if he pivots the wrong way and just kind of tweaks it slightly, like that could set him back again. And you have to assume he's going to play tomorrow against New York, but because they play like the Thunder, are a pretty good squad, but like they play the Thunder and the Rockets back to back, like later on in this road trip, maybe there's an opportunity to rest Mitchell alongside Ricky Rubio as well. If you like try to like beat the Rockets who don't have a point guard, but this next game, just shifting focus back to back, like it's going to be a fun one at the end of the day. I think like New York is an interesting squad just because they're kind of in flux, like the Jalen Brun- Brunson acquisition has worked out in spades for them. Um, Evan Fournier is not really impactful. RJ Barrett is like kind of having a pretty good season so far. Um, it's just like Julius Randle has been great for them too. Like people have been voting him for an all-star candidate and like he's been playing very well for New York this season. So there's interesting individual matchups, but the story surrounding all this is Donovan Mitchell. And if he can't win in the garden a second time, the New York media and the national media is just going to have a heyday with it. So I think if the Cavs just kind of want to maintain this outsized noise and distractions they can't control, they go in and take care of business, and it's Mitchell leading the charge. Yeah, the the media, I, I care. Um, 
Uh, you and I don't care personally, but there's people yeah, who I just that stuff yeah. up and the 24-7 yeah, news cycle is vicious and the 24-7 sports cycle is even more insane. Like, yeah, so let's not let's not put oxygen into it. Let's just like let, let's let's just talk poop. To. Let's talk ball. New York will themselves. Yeah, but the, the but never mind. I'm done with this. So rest of the week, gotta crush, gotta beat the crap out of the Rockets because the Rockets suck. They're the Rockets like the, the Rockets are awful. Uh, you have They're, to win that one. Thunder on the back night of a back to back is a little bit tricky. I will be like wondering a lot about Ken Rich Williams just because he's good, and I don't think the Thunder will trade him and. Uh, but he would be like a really, really nice three and a half dude fit the Thunder, on the Gavs. Thunder flirt with five hundred. Like they are good team. They, they they're good team. Their youth is working out for them. And Mark Dan Dagno, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but coaching really well this year for them. Like the best Thunder was great. Fun. Shagos Alexander is great. Yeah, absolutely great. Star. It's great. Uh, having a great year. Curious how the Cavs will deal with this size. That feels like I can't, I want to watch Okoro defend him and just see how that goes and see just kind of that little battle kind of excited for that. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you get the Clippers on Sunday and Lord knows, like, you could get so Kawhi. You could, well, you could get Kawhi and he could do like awesome Kawhi things like he's done a couple of times recently or you could get like a weird Kawhi team and like uh, for my personal benefit, like Jason Preston might get the play in Cleveland and guess what? That would be cool for me for for me personally because shout out to the Ohio Bobcats. But if you're an but, audio listener, I just rolled my eyes when Chris said that. But proceed. Yeah, yeah. You know what, Evan? When the next time Akron gets a professional NBA player, come at me. But I, I think if I'm ranking this week's games in terms of my interests, mm-hmm. I go Knicks one. I go Thunder two. I go Clippers three. With the caveat that I would put it. One, I would. It could be one if I knew Kawhi. Kawhi was going to play, just because it's Kawhi. And then I think the Rockets are absolutely four. But you like absolutely just like need to kick the crap. Like I think Agreed. of this week, like you got to beat the got to beat the Knicks. You absolutely got to kick the crap out of the Rockets. Thunder, like okay, second out of back to back, going to be tricky. Probably should beat the Clippers at home. Three out of four this week feels like a, a pretty good baseline if you're Cleveland trying to maximize where you are now, particularly if Mitchell comes back. Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. Um, for me, ranking wise, I want to put one just because Oklahoma City. Um, they have a really like fun crowd environment too. Like I think they'll be engaged. Like you're seeing two very young teams kind of go blow for blow with one another. It's not going to be similar to the game against Memphis a couple nights ago for Cleveland, but it it has similar ish implications with the both these are two small market teams and they are kind of leading the youth movement behind behind star guard play with like the Thunder, it's SGA. And for the Cavs, it's Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. So like that's super exciting for me to watch. But like the next game obviously has intrigue too because it's just it's the garden. I think RJ Barrett's a lot of fun. Like I I I think what the Knicks have assembled is interesting. I still feel like there's a step away from being something special, but like Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett at least are super fun for me to watch. And I'm interested to see like what weird stuff Julius Randle does because he's kind of an interesting foil for like Evan Mobley and even Jared Allen to defend at times too. And then, yeah, depending on what we get with the Clippers that I think that's a fair assessment. Like if Kawhi plays, I think that adds a lot of intrigue to it. And I think um, like looking at the, Injury report right now, just for t- uh, Monday night against the late or sorry, Tuesday night against the Lakers, like Brandon Boston, former Cavalier Moses Brown are both out on G League assignments. Uh, Jason Brownson's also on a G League assignment, but it's like Luke Kennard and John Wall missing time. So like if Ka- Kawhi plays, Paul George plays, if Jason Preston plays for Chris Manning's sake, like that could be a fun That's game right. on Sunday. Plus it's like plus it's like Ty Lue. like Ty Lue coming home is always interesting, too, because like Ty 
is under a little bit of scrutiny right now because the Clippers don't really have a true point guard on the roster and they're struggling with creating playmaking opportunities for them. So like these are winnable games clearly for Cleveland across the board. But I think our orders are somewhat similar. I just had the Thunder a little bit higher just because this Thunder team is very intriguing to me. And this is without Chet on the roster too. Like if they had Chet, this would be an even more fascinating game just because Chet Holmgren fascinates me as a player. Yeah, Chet's going to be awesome. And I, I can't wait for him to be healthy. A fun note as we as on the end on here, the Evan, the team that Evan Mobley, until he scored his 38 against the Bucks, that he scored his career high against twice, it was against the same team. Was the was the LA Clippers? Mm-hmm. That's just kind of like a random thing. Don't know, don't think it like means anything, but it is just kind of an interesting little thing that Evan Mobley, before he set the new career on Saturday, had had two career high games, and they were against the Clippers of all teams. So maybe maybe something's in store for Sunday to bring this full circle. But that is going to do it for Lockdown Cavs. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damrell. Thanks again, as always to the one and only Jake Stevens for producing the music you heard on the way in. And on the way out now is going to be from our friends at Astro Radio. Now, if you're second listen, check out Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis only Locked on can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked on NBA. That's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 